0: Happy 4th of July. How is everybody? You have a good 4th of July weekend so far? Yes? Yeah. Okay. Sort of. Yeah. Okay. Good. Uh, It's also known as Joey Chestnut Day, right? He's trying to retain his 14th, what I see today, mustard belt title. I guess that's what they're calling the hot dog eating championship thing. So it's, it's filled with all sorts of festivities and fun celebrations today. Uh, But we are also here, uh, in mindful of uh, the 4th of July holiday, able to celebrate the freedoms that uh, Kevin and April so appropriately brought to our attention with the children's message. It is an appropriate thing to set up a marker to celebrate the freedom that we have uh, and that we're able to, to benefit from in this country. I think it's a beautiful thing for us to do, and we want to celebrate that. Obviously, as believers, it's important to set up similar markers in our lives to celebrate the freedom that we have in Christ and, and freedom inherently has a certain value that I think draws us to it with, a, with that level of gratitude and appreciation. But there are some subtle differences between the freedoms that we have as a nation and the freedoms that we have as believers. Uh, typically, when you think about our freedoms as a nation, you think about freedom in terms of expression. Uh, you have the freedom to, to religion, the freedom to speech, to, to press, to assembly. All these things allow us to express a certain individualism and autonomy that that we truly value and should be valued. But you think about the freedom that we have in Christ, what's different there is a lot of times that freedom is really only secured and experienced not through expression but through submission. And that's a little bit different, right? It's actually through surrender. And it's this interesting paradox that we kind of experience when we truly uh, experience it for the first time through that avenue of surrender. I remember when I was 16 years old, that was the first time that it really resonated with me. I was 16 years old, and uh, I had gotten to a place in my life that, though growing up in church, I began to question its validity, right, its authenticity, its sustainability, however you want to qualify it. It, it, I wasn't sure that was truly uh, the the thing that I had been taught. And so in that questioning, uh, I was told by a, a college leader at one of these retreats that said, you know, Jeremiah, it's really about commitment. There are gonna be days that are hard. There are gonna be days where it doesn't feel authentic. It doesn't feel like you wanna pray or, or read the scriptures or follow Christ, but you do it anyway because it's about commitment. And what he was really talking about was surrender. And for whatever reason, that just clicked with me. And, and I recognized it wasn't enough just to find Christ as savior, but to find him as Lord. And it was in surrendering to him as Lord that I truly began to taste freedom. And, and that was so powerful and is so powerful. And, and I think that's really what we have to boil it down to this morning is that when we move to those moments of surrender, what we're really talking about is not surrender out of compulsion or out of fear, but out of trust and out of love. Finding somebody that, that merits that surrender, that is worthy of that submission. And when we find that in Christ, we truly find this freedom that we're here to celebrate today. And so what an incredible gift. And today's message really is intended for us to refocus uh, our efforts on understanding what it means to trust Christ with all things and to surrender to him so that we can truly benefit from the freedoms that he bestows upon us. And so with that being said, let's just ask for his spirit to guide us in our time together this morning. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we come to you in song and in praise and in worship. Father, in prayer, and all these things, God, through a spirit of submission and surrender. And as we approach your holy word today, Father, we pray that once again it would be living and active, God, and it would remind us that it is in this act of self-denial, of dying to ourselves and following Christ, that we are able to truly taste and see that you are good. Father, that we are truly able to experience the freedom from bondage and sin and judgment and decay, all the things that weigh us down, Father, we are released from in our surrender to you. And so, Father, may that well up within us with a, with the joyful praise and the joyful spirit of gratitude this morning. May we learn once again what it means to anchor ourselves in that hope as we consider once again your living and active word. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen and amen. All right. Well, uh, as we continue, I've got a few updates this morning before we get to our text. Uh, last week's sermon was a doozy. Uh, For those of you that were here with us, I think we spent about an hour, uh, thereabouts, talking about sexuality, so you're welcome. Thought I'd follow it up this week with about an hour talking about politics. How about that? Does that sound good? (laughs) Not our 4th of July. I'm just kidding. I'm not doing that to you. Um, So anyway, it was a a difficult subject matter, and believe it or not, though I committed an hour to it, uh, there were still a lot of things I wasn't able to get to and a lot of things that had to be left out and so i did want to circle back around and and not continue the discussion but to offer an invitation that because it is such a complex subject with so many different nuances and because so many things were left out i I want you all to know that i'm more than uh, willing to have an ongoing dialogue with you if you have additional questions concerns comments whatever uh, it may be i want to make myself available to you I, i don't want to just always focus on it on Sunday morning. I think that's the trick, right? There's so many other important things that we need to focus in on. And so when the, when the subject does arise, I want to commit to it, but it's, it's often limited in terms of what all we can dive into. And so if you have follow-up questions from last week's message, please don't hesitate to reach out because there are some things I was not able to get to and address. And so I, I did want to just make that known, but thank you uh, again for just your, your space and freedom to allow us to, to dive into such difficult things subject matters. Uh, but we will continue forward in our Revelation series today, but before we do, there are a few follow-up comments I want to make about just some things I, I hope you're aware of. You, you heard Caroline mention a few of them, uh, specifically as it comes to our two twenty and 200 goals for the year, really for the year I mean from Easter to Easter, and you heard us reference the renewal groups. Uh, we want to see at least two fully functioning renewal groups within this next year. We want 20 individuals or families advocating for foster care and adoption, and so you saw those different opportunities and next steps being mentioned in our announcements today, so we want to encourage you to participate in those if you are so moved and so stirred, Uh, but I want to also take some time and talk about the 200, Uh, 200 baptisms by next Easter. Uh, I hope that goal is the one that excites you the most and overwhelms you the most, as it does me. And just as a reminder, the only way that we achieve that is if each of us sees our own personal responsibility to participate in it. Right? The moment we say, well, that's for someone else to do, then then we've missed the point. And so our hope is that every household, every family, uh, would take the time to invest in at least one individual in your life that you know is far from God. And to pour into him over this next year. Just love on him. Encourage them, invest in them, give them opportunities to hear more about this gospel, how it's changed you, how it can change them, and and let's see what God does with it. If we can all do that, then there's no way that we can truly fail. And so I just wanna put a direct challenge in front of you. Uh, If you have that name of that individual, that person that God has placed on your heart, I want you to obviously be praying for them, but maybe this next week do something intentional for them. Or reach out to them, make a phone call, send an email, a text. Invite them over for dinner, bake them cookies. It doesn't matter, but do something intentional for them so that you can intentionally invest in that relationship here this next week. And let's let's see what the Lord does with it. Uh, We do have a spot on our website that is focused on these initiatives, these goals of 220 and 200. Easiest way to get there: go to our homepage. It's one of the headers at the top. You can click on that and it will kind of give you another synopsis of of all the different things that we're trying to do in each arena, but also gives you an an opportunity to share some of the stories that God might be doing in your life. And so if there are things you want to share back with us of of things that we can be praying for or updates that we need to know, then please utilize that landing page as a way to communicate with us. Uh, But I'm real excited about the momentum that we already have in those arenas and look forward to God to continue to do amazing things. Uh, and again, in all of those arenas, it's not really about our abilities. It's not about our skills and our talents, but it's about trusting in the Spirit of God to move mightily, and, and that's what makes it so exciting to me. So a lot of things uh, happening and very eager to see how the Lord leads, but let's continue our series in Revelations. Grab your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 2, and we'll continue our discussion on Thyatira. Uh, we started this discussion last week And part of what we saw in in just a little bit of an overview of what we discussed is that ultimately the verdict, the concern that Jesus leveled against the church of Thyatira is that there was a woman in a position of authority who was referring to herself as a prophet and was offering up a teaching that was leading people astray. It was leading people into sexual immorality and idolatry. And, And so the real concern, though, that Jesus revealed against the church was not so much the acts or the teaching, but the refusal to repent, right? It was this stubbornness, this this continuation in that path. And so it was the concern of the lack of repentance that was really addressed. And there were three different groups that were also called out or referenced in this opening part of the letter. That essentially this church, in response to that teaching, had some people that followed it, some folks that tolerated it, and some that were resistant to it. And so it served as a great warning and a word of caution for us in our setting today as well. Now what I really loved about that and I want to draw your attention to again this morning as we begin is that those who resisted that teaching, those within that church, the church was still known for what? Its love, its faith, its service, and its perseverance. I love that idea, that this idea that you can stand strong against the culture around you are some of these things that are so destructive and can lead astray. And still be known for your love and your faith and your service and your perseverance. And that's what we should aspire to as well. And I think one of the ways that we foster that ability and that resolve and that, that uh, expression to the world around us is to truly have our trust and our faith anchored in the right things, which is really going to be what we're able to focus in on here in the conclusion of this letter. So let's continue on in verse 26, reading through verse 29. It says, To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. Well, I will also give that one the morning star, so whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, this is the common formula that we've seen with all these other letters that each letter concludes with a comment towards the rewards that will be offered to those who are victorious, to those who overcome. So those who have ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is a similar pattern. And what we see here in Thyatira is that the rewards that are mentioned here are kind of two-pronged. There are two distinct rewards that are offered. And so we're gonna just break each one of those down this morning. And, And what you find with the first one is this promise to rule uh, over the nations with authority, uh, with this iron scepter dashing them to pieces like pottery. Clear as day, right? Make a lot of sense. A very interesting reward. And and a couple of disclaimers as we try to understand it this morning. The first is this. Anytime you see the word nations in the Bible, don't think about the literal nations that we know of today. Uh, What you find... Grammatically, or at least in terms of the actual word in Greek, it's ethnos or ethnates, where we get our word ethnic. And so it is not a reference to the nations as we know them today, but just all the different ethnicities, different peoples of the world. And so you have to kind of keep that in mind as we read through some of the passages today. I think it helps create a a slightly different picture that's important. But in addition to that, when you read through it, if you're like me, I kept getting tripped up on the the phrase that one, right? that one will rule over them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces well who is that one just to clarify that one is referencing the one who overcomes right so the one who is victorious that one will rule over them and so uh, it is a a reward that we will get to experience as those who overcome and so when you read through the first reward in this reference to authority and ruling over the nations with an iron scepter uh, the reason it can feel confusing is similar to what i said when we started this series right revelation oftentimes is elusive to us and is, is kind of out there for us, and, and it's not just because it's a book that is anchored in apocalyptic, uh, unknown, futuristic events, but a huge reason that it can be so confusing for us is because it is so steeply rooted in Old Testament imagery that we just don't typically understand. And so what you have referenced here is actually, again, an Old Testament psalm. And so we've seen this repeatedly throughout these letters. We had references to Balaam, references to Jezebel. And so now what we have here is that this reward is a direct quotation of Psalm 2. And so what we're going to understand is that this reward is figurative in its meaning. It's not literal, right? So it's not a literal ruling over the nations. It's a figurative uh, expression of how we are going to share with Christ in his authority. And so I think in order for us to appreciate that, What we really need to do is better understand what is really going to take place with Christ and then see how we can participate in it. And so to create that picture of what's going to happen with Christ, I think we need to turn to Psalm 2 to better understand Revelation 2. So hang a left, go to about the middle, and let's read Psalm 2 together. We're going to read this psalm, break it down a little bit to help get this picture of what's going to happen with the authority of Jesus over the nations, and then we'll talk about how we participate in it. Here's what Psalm 2 says. Why do the nations conspire in the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. But the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and he terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Now I will proclaim the Lord's decree. For he said to me, you are my son, today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron, you will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Okay, so beautiful psalm, and and what it does for us is it paints this picture of animosity, of friction that exists between the nations, the peoples of the earth, and the Creator, right? And, and the way it is it is uh, described here in Psalm chapter two is why do the nations conspire and plot in vain? Now, word conspire means rebellion. And so what the psalmist is pointing to is this inherent rebellion that exists between the peoples of the earth and the Creator. And so they plot, right? They, they, they plan, they scheme, they devise ways to try to gain this authority for themselves, but it is all in vain. right? So, so they rise up against God. They rise up against His anointed, against His people. And so they see this this human condition. God sees this human condition. What does he do? He laughs at them. He scoffs at them. He rebukes them in anger. He is the one that is truly enthroned. And you get this this undeniable description of the human dilemma, right? That the human heart is compelled towards this rebellion to rise up against God, to, to go their own way, to try to usurp his authority. But it is all in vain. You cannot take him off his throne. And so he rebukes them saying, I've already set my king in Zion. I've already established him on my holy mountain. And so with that declaration, then you see kind of a shift in who, is, who the psalmist is actually talking to, right? It, it, it now shifts to this king, right? The Lord's decree, you are my son, today I've become your father. Now that verse, I believe it's verse 7 becomes a frequently referenced verse in the New Testament, which is what makes Psalm 2 one of the most messianic psalms that we have, right? It's referenced, uh, I believe, in Acts chapter 13, verse 13. There's a whole presentation of the gospel and embedded within that presentation. This is quoted. Hebrews 1, 5. Hebrews 5, 5. Again, that verse is quoted as a way to validate and authenticate the sonship of Jesus, that Jesus is undeniably the fulfillment of Psalm 2. He is the one that has been enthroned on Zion. And so when when God establishes that sonship in Jesus, what then does he say? Right? The nations, the peoples, will be your inheritance. The ends of the earth will be given to you. Ultimately, all of it falls under the lordship of Christ. This is why we say he is not just king, he is king of kings and lord of lords. No one surpasses his rule and his authority. So the nations will be given to him as an inheritance, the ends of the earth, and what will he do? He will rule over them with, with this iron scepter, dashing them to pieces like pottery. Now that imagery really accentuates the justice that will be found under the lordship and authority of Jesus Christ. That's that's what that image conveys it is it is an instrument of justice and authority and judgment and so that's going to be taking place and so in the psalm you see this declaration to the king that sits on Zion and that all these things will be done and then the language shifts back to the kings of the earth and the peoples of the earth and and here is where you get the the encouragement or perhaps the word of warning in terms of how we should respond to this authority that will be entrusted to Jesus. What does the psalmist say? Therefore, you kings, be wise. Right? Have that wisdom to understand this position of authority. Be warned. I love this, this uh, description. Serve the Lord with fear. Did you say you do that? Is that indicative of your life? What does what the service of the Lord look like for you? Right, the idea of fear here is, is not the picture of being truly afraid of something. It's this idea of reverence. right? It's a full understanding of the authority that exists in Jesus Christ. See, Sometimes I feel like we serve the Lord out of obligation, out of cultural pressure, out of whatever it is, selfish motives. But, but the psalmist encourages us that when we truly see what is established in Christ, we serve the Lord out of that healthy reverence. And and that reverence is a good thing because the next line says actually celebrate with trembling. That trembling is the same idea of reverence, but we should actually be joyful at the reign and the lordship that will be entrusted to Jesus Christ. We celebrate this, and so our service should be not just out of reverence, but we should demonstrate a life that is joyful and celebrates all that has been done in Christ. Kiss his son. Demonstrate that loyalty. Or he will be angry, and your way will lead you to your destruction. I think, again, a lot of times what we discover in this life is that when we resist the lordship and the authority of Jesus Christ, we pursue earthly gain, earthly kingdoms that we think will fulfill us, and maybe they will for a moment, right? Maybe they will for for a temporary season of life, but ultimately they lead to emptiness. They lead to our own demise, our own destruction, And so be careful to to not resist this authority because to do so leads to destruction. And then that's where you find my favorite line in the entire psalm, for blessed are those who take refuge in him. Where do you take refuge? In whom do you take refuge? And where do you find that safety? Where do you find that protection, that comfort? When the world is... Is turned upside down where do you go for that sort of grace blessed are those who take refuge in him it's a beautiful beautiful song all of this is accomplished in Jesus now here's what's so remarkable about it right what's so remarkable about it is that as you merge this depiction of this incredible authority that will be entrusted to Christ according to Psalm 2, and you come back to Revelation 2, what we discover is that Jesus invites us to share in that rule and that authority. He doesn't lord it over us. He invites us to participate in it. Now, I have no clue what that's going to look like. But what a remarkable gift. And this shouldn't surprise us because this is who Jesus is. And this is what the New Testament teaches time and time again. This is the sort of Savior and King that he is. If you go to Matthew chapter 10, the opening line of Matthew chapter 10, Jesus called his 12 disciples and he gave them what? He's about to send them out. What does he give them? He gives them authority. Cast out demons to heal diseases, to proclaim the good news. He shares his authority with his followers. He doesn't hoard it. He invites us into it. You look to 1 Corinthians 6, another very interesting passage. Do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? Now, that's really about how you handle disputes amongst believers in an earthly context, but there is a reference there that but again, this justice, this judgment that will be entrusted to Christ will be shared with his church. That is further depicted in Revelation 20. I saw thrones in which receded those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ, for a thousand years. He shares his reign with those who are victorious. What an incredible gift. Yet I have no clue what that's going to look like when we actually get to experience it. But to recognize the fullness of the authority and sovereignty of God that has been placed in Jesus Christ and to recognize that this Jesus, this Savior, this Lord invites us into that glory and invites us into that authority. What a beautiful gift. Now here's to me where it really begins to resonate with us, right? Where, where I really became captivated by this message of this particular reward is when we kind of take the, the effort to inject ourselves into the audience that would have first received this letter. And we've talked about this on occasion throughout this series, right? That this was not a great time to be a believer, right? You, you were often faced with all different levels of oppression, Right? There, there were frequent occurrences that you were ostracized by the culture around you, faced with poverty, faced with ridicule in many situations, thrown in prison, and oftentimes faced with death. So imagine. Imagine that. Imagine being in that kind of context, faced under constant threat of persecution and oppression from an existing king and hearing that one day all those kings would bow down to Christ and you would share in that authority and rule over them. Imagine the hope that that would give you. What we're we're seeing described here is this great reversal, right, from going from oppressed to ruling and reigning with Christ. What hope that would ignite in that church. What hope it would ignite for those who were finding themselves at the hands of oppression of governing peoples and governing authorities to know that ultimately all those kings, all those authorities from that day and every time beyond it would ultimately submit to Jesus and that we would share in that glory and share in that incredible reversal. You know, in essence, that's the gospel, right? And and I want us to be reminded of that. Because I recognize that uh, for many of us, we're not faced with similar situations. We're not faced with imprisonment because of our faith. We're not faced with potential death sentences because of our faith. But there are a lot of burdens, a lot of hardships that we could share with one another in this room today. A lot of us still struggling with pain, struggling with grief, struggling with uncertainty, loneliness, depression, anxiety, grief, whatever it could be. And we need a great reversal. We need something to change. We need to be set free. What sort of reversal do you need to see in your life? What sort of freedom do you need to experience? See, that's what compels us to come to Jesus. That's what gives us hope. That's the essence of the gospel, that he will undo and change all these things with this great reversal and establish this new order of grace and mercy and glory right when we look to the cross and we see his death yes we find mercy we find forgiveness for all of our mistakes all of our imperfections all of our failures but the cross does so much more because it points to the empty tomb and that empty tomb points us to the greatest reversal that we will ever know, the reversal of death to life, not life to death. And what that shows us is this hope that what we truly believe is that a new order of things is going to occur. Right? That That the way that we know life for all of its hardships, for all of its pains, for all of its struggle will be undone. A new heaven and a new earth will be here. And that will be the moment that we truly get to experience the love and the hope and grace that is in Christ Jesus. And so whatever it is that we need setting free from, whatever reversal we need in our lives, we need to look to only one place, which is Christ Because it is is there that we get to anchor our hope in that ultimate time when a new order will come. What a beautiful reward. He is inviting us into that authority. He is sharing that authority. He is sharing that glory to those who overcome. Now that reward is complemented with the second one. And what's the second one? Uh, To those who overcome, you will receive the bright morning star. Another interesting phrase, what is the bright morning star? Well, there's probably two different options that I could present to you this morning that, to me, at least have um, validity in terms of how we would interpret them. The first, I would say, is that it kind of points to uh, the ushering in of this era, this new day, so to speak. So in in biblical times, in the, the ancient times of the early church here, there was a common phrase that morning star bright star, evening star, was referring to Venus, okay? And Venus was uh, the, the one part of the sky that would shine before the coming of the dawn. It was one of the brightest parts of the, of the sky. And so people would often refer to the morning star or the evening star, the bright star, as the ushering in of a new day. And so you could use that same imagery and point to this, this anticipation of this new day when this great reversal takes place, right? That when the resurrection occurs, the ultimate resurrection, when light begins to swallow up darkness, this new era emerges, right? It, it points to that, that hope of the return of Jesus. Do you believe in the return of Christ? Like, truly believe it. Like, are you looking forward to it? Are you anticipating it? A lot of times... We, we create this, this form of Christianity that, that we just gravitate towards because we feel like it just helps us live a better life here on earth. And it does do that. But, but then we just miss the greater glory that awaits. Right? Jesus is truly coming back. Amen? Like, he will return, church. This is not in vain. This is not pointless. And so we should long for that. Lord forbid that he should find us clinging more tightly to this earth than the one that is to come. He will return. And so the bright morning star could be this this language, this imagery to anticipate that horizon, that new era where light swallows up darkness. That was one way to interpret it. The other way to interpret it at least the two that i'll present to you today is that the bright morning star is jesus himself right if you were to flip to revelation twenty-two sixteen, 16 you would have jesus and this is my paraphrase but you would have jesus speaking again to john as a summarization of this letter of revelation saying i jesus right? i'm the one who sent this angel to testify to these things to you, for I am the root and the offspring of David. I am the bright morning star. That's pretty cool. Now, that to me seems to be a pretty solid way to interpret it. It's Scripture interpreting Scripture. You have Jesus himself in the same letter saying, you want to know what the bright morning star is? I'm the bright morning star. And and that to me kind of takes it even to another level of what it is that we are really to be longing for and where our hope is truly to be anchored, right? Where, the, where that begins to take us is this, this greater understanding that our hope is not just in eternal life, right? It, it's not just in heaven, right? The essence of the gospel, is so much more than that, as great as it is, right? But that what we should really long for, and I've shared this with you before, is that the great gift the great reward is not that we get eternal life and not that we get a new heaven and a new earth and not that we get new bodies and not that we get all these different things. It's not that we get heaven, we get Jesus. (laughs) We get him. This bright morning star is this reference to this moment where he truly becomes our God and we truly become his people and he wipes every tear from our eyes. Can you imagine that moment, church, where Jesus is no longer someone we talk about, someone we imagine, but he's standing right before us. Can you picture it? And he's ours. We are his. That is the great reward. He is the bright morning star. What an incredible thing to hope in. And so this is the reward. These are the rewards that are offered to the church in Thyatira. Right, that if we can truly anticipate this great reversal, this new order of things that will come to be, and that with the ushering in of that great reversal, we discover that the essence of our hope is not in something, but it's someone, that we get Jesus. What a great reminder. Now, uh, As we kind of transition to conclude, see, I'm going to be quicker today just to give you guys a benefit after a long one last week. But as we transition to try to conclude this from a standpoint of what does this mean for us and how do I begin to really take those sorts of rewards and apply them to our lives, I think what really stood out to me was the one exception, the one unique quality of this particular passage. It kind of broke from the formula that you see in the others. Right? So the formula that you see in the other letters that works through all these different conclusions is to the one who is victorious, fill in the blank. Right? You will not taste the second death. You will share in the tree of life. To the one who is victorious, that was it. But in Thyatira, there's a little bit of an elaboration. There's an expansion. So the one who is victorious and does my will to the end. That was different. Point of emphasis for this church. Point of emphasis for all of us that, to me, gives us a great picture of what it is that we're to aspire to. I've shared with you throughout this series that if there's really just one consistent theme that permeates each and every letter, it's the theme of loyalty. Right? Trusting in Jesus through it all. And so, what you have with this reference to the end is a reminder that, that faithfulness, that loyalty is not temporary, it is not conditional, it is not circumstantial, it is to the end. That's what we're called to. And so what is the end? Well, it's really one of two things. It's either until Christ returns or until our life is over. That's it. And so we are called to this loyalty, to this faithfulness, until one of those two things happens. And that's a really challenging word when you stop and you think about it because life is hard, is it not? Following Jesus is hard. And when those two things collide with one another, I assure you, there are going to be days where you want to quit, where you want to walk away, days where you're going to have your mind flooded with doubts and concerns and heartache and pain, days where you're going to be confused by his plan and what he's doing and his purpose for you or for others, and it's going to be hard. And that's where faithfulness and loyalty really gains strength. And I think that's the the question we're all going to have to face at one point or another. Because here's the truth, none of us knows what sort of twists and turns life is going to bring between this day and your end. None of us knows. I Have any clue what sort of challenges or roadblocks or obstacles are going to occur, but I guarantee you they're going to happen. And so the greater question is, who will you trust to help you navigate through the rest of your life from this moment until its end? And whom will you find that refuge? Where will you place that trust? And that's what I believe the letter to Thyatira continues to encourage us. Right, that it's really the same message that we've been talking about, not even just through this series, through this year. It's how we started. What what we all know is that there's a race that's been marked out for us, every single one of us, both as individuals and as a church. You're called to run it. There are going to be days where that running through that race is going to be challenging, it's going to be difficult, but you run. You're not called just to run. You're called to run with perseverance. And So on those harder days when exhaustion begins to set in and you begin to ask yourself, how? How do I keep running? What's the answer? You fix your eyes on Jesus. That's what you do. You fix your eyes on Jesus because he is the author. He is the perfecter of faith. And for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross for you. And if he endured the cross for you and for me and for us, then we can run this race and endure all things for him. We fix our eyes on Jesus so that we won't grow weary and we won't lose heart. We trust him. So who do you trust, church? Church? Where do you place all that hope? Where is the anchor of your soul? I pray that on a day like today where we celebrate freedom, we can all come together and see the beauty of surrendering to this King of Kings, this Lord of Lords. And in that surrender, discover the incredible freedom of His grace, His love, His mercy. And we will trust him with every day of our lives to the very end. And we will run with joy. Because we know that Jesus is our perfect refuge. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. And Father, we just acknowledge that there are so many times in our lives that it's hard to trust so many times in our lives that we know we need to surrender. Father, so many times that we know we have gone astray. God, we acknowledge what the psalm teaches us that our hearts are prone towards rebellion, our hearts are prone towards our own authority. So, Father, help each and every one of us that have gathered here today to submit to you and surrender to you and find the freedom that is in Christ. Father, I pray that you would help us to understand the hope that is accomplished in this gospel that allows us to see and anticipate the new order that awaits. Father, that our lives would be anchored in the hope of this great reversal where all the things of this earth are undone and made new. Father, for those of us that carry certain heaviness, certain doubts, For those of us that are weary, God, that today we could just come before you, confess, acknowledge, that we need your strength, give us a glimmer of of what that restoration will look like. Father, help us to see what it'll be like, not just to experience life eternal just to be changed into glory, but to be with you, to be overwhelmed by your love. Let this be the anchor of our souls, Father. No matter the day or the circumstances, be our refuge. Help us to trust our Savior Jesus. For it's in his name and in his glory that we pray these things. Amen.